Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A walk in the woods leaves a teenager fighting for his sight. I'm thinking, I don't want to go blind. Please don't let me go blind. A construction worker does battle with a deadly worm that's been breeding within him for 30 years. It's very emotional for me because I think I'm really losing him. And an eight-year-old girl is attacked by a hideous organism that makes its nest inside her body. It feels like somebody is tearing at my insides. Three vicious parasites united by one devastating strategy. They infect their host, then reproduce at terrifying speed. They are all around us. They are deadly. They are the breeders. Worms invisible to the human eye. Insects thirsty for blood. Microscopic amoeba. They might look harmless but these are some of nature's deadliest creatures. They can hijack our bodies, disable our immune systems. They are parasites. But to those infected, they are the monsters inside me. A parasite is an organism that lives in or on another living creature called a host. They are among the oldest and most successful forms of life on Earth. And like every other organism on the planet, parasites must do one thing to survive. Reproduce. All organisms need to breed, and parasites are no different. Part of the reason a parasite needs a host is that's where it's going to reproduce. A host provides food and shelter for the growing parasite, but when the breeders take over a host's body, the host can die. Not all parasites are deadly but many can cause permanent damage, and they can infect their host in the simplest of ways, as a teenage boy is about to discover. In 2005, 
Kenny Watson is a 16-year-old high school junior living in the rural town of Hardy, Arkansas. I go to school, hang out with my friends, kind of goof off. We have fun. We make it through the day and try to tolerate school since it's not all too uh, exciting to be there. Kenny lives with his mother, Diana. Kenneth is a very easygoing person. He likes to kid. Kenneth is notorious for pulling pranks and tricks and fooling people. He's wonderful at it. But Kenny's happy-go-lucky life is about to be plunged into darkness. One Monday morning in late fall, Diana heads to Kenny's room to get him up and ready for school. It's a pretty normal day, and Mom comes in. She's waking me up. But as soon as Kenny opens his eyes, he notices something is wrong. I'm waking up and looking around. I'm noticing I'm not seeing anything. He mentions the problem to his mom, but she isn't sure whether to believe him. Kenneth is famous for faking. He's pulled quite a number of stunts where he pretended to be ill so he doesn't have to go to school. I just look at him and I told him that your eye is fine, you need to get up. You're not staying home. And she's telling me I better get my butt ready and get to the bus stop because you're going to school. The bus stop is only a half mile from the house. But as soon as Kenny sets out, he starts having trouble. I still can't see much, much at all, actually. It's pretty rocky, so I'm tripping over myself. As I get to the, you know, the end of the road, I'm just sitting there waving my hand in front of my face. I can't even see my own hand. And that's when I started to get scared. Barely able to see, Kenny turns around and heads home. When he gets there, his mother is not happy to see him. I am totally aggravated at this point. I ask him, what are you doing? Why aren't you waiting for the bus? But it quickly becomes clear that something is very wrong with her son. Talking to my mom and I don't even know if I'm looking at her face. All I can see is, you know, a big black dot blocking everything. I'm thinking, you know, I I don't want to go blind. Please don't let me go blind. You know, and I start crying like a baby. I think that's when she starts to believe me. He's, He's crying. He's in tears. And my son just does not cry unless something is terribly wrong. I think to myself, okay, Maybe he's not faking. Diana immediately makes an appointment with their family optometrist, Dr. Jerry Ellis. One hour later, Kenny is in his exam room. He's shining lights in my eye, and he's asking me to follow his finger. I can't. I can't see his finger. When I hear that he can't see anything waving in front of his eyes, that's when I get very concerned about him. When I look in the back of his eyes, I see something I've never seen before. Kenny's eyeball is filled with blood. There's a 50-50 chance that he may lose vision permanently in that eye. I'm waiting and I'm scared. I don't know what's wrong with my son. 
Dr. Ellis goes to break the news to Kenny and his mother. The doctor comes in. He seems concerned, and there's an air of urgency about him. When he tells me that my eye is bleeding, that's when I start to get scared even more. I tell his mother that I don't know what's causing this, but I do know a retina specialist that has the equipment and the expertise to be able to handle this for them. And he asks, you know, how soon can you guys get to Memphis? And my mom looks at him and goes, as soon as you need us to be there. Diana and Kenny rush to the retina specialist. But it may be too late to save Kenny's sight. Memphis is 150 miles away. We have to go there today, right now. It's frantic. It's frightening. It's scary. And we're trying to hurry. Normally, it's a three-hour drive. We make it in two. This has easily been the craziest day of my life. And at this point, I'm pretty much braced for the worst to come. Kenny and Diana reach the Hamilton Eye Institute in Memphis. They find retinal specialist Dr. Steve Charles is already waiting for them. He begins by examining Kenny's eye. The damage that we saw in the eye took on two characteristics. One was this pocket of hemorrhage. Surrounding that, the otherwise normal retina had this little patchwork quilt of white lines. Dr. Charles shows the images to Diana and Kenny. I can see these white tracks just all over his eye. My heart just sinks. And it looks like there's been something crawling around my eye. The white lines are the clue Dr. Charles needs to solve the mystery. One look, you know instantly what it is. The diagnosis is ocular myiasis. Myiasis is a general term that describes any time that fly larvae infest the human body. They can get in through open wounds, through openings in the skin, or they can be swallowed. When larvae infect the human eye, it causes a condition called ocular myiasis. A fly larva, or maggot, is living in Kenny's eyeball and feeding off his retinal tissue, leaving bloody tracks in its wake. Left unchecked, the maggot will eat Kenny's eyeball. Is this a joke? You know, there's no way I have a maggot in my eye. But it's no joke. Dr. Charles tells Kenny and Diana that time is running out. The fly larva will do damage to the eye. And if there's enough damage, that will remove central vision permanently. My son may not see again out of that eye. It's frightening to think of what my child might have to face. There's only one way to stop the parasite. Surgery. It scared me pretty bad. Facing blindness at 16 is horrible. 16-year-old Kenny Watson has a live maggot in his eye. It has started to eat away at his retina. If doctors don't act fast, it will destroy his eye. There's only one way to stop the parasite. Surgery. At this point, I'm pretty much braced for the worst to come. As doctors prepare Kenny for the operation, his mother Diana can only look on. 
I know that he's afraid, and that frightens me. No parent wants to see their child afraid. They're telling me, you know, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. The nurses come in, and my mom tells me, you know, I'll see you when you get back. The last thing I told my son as they wheeled him away was that I loved him. And I watched and waited while they rolled him down the hall, and then I cried when he couldn't see me because I was afraid. But in the OR, Dr. Charles is struggling to locate the maggot that is eating away at Kenny's retina. The bleeding in Kenny's eye is making it impossible for him to find the parasite. What we knew for sure is that a large hemorrhage was blocking the central vision. The hemorrhage not only blocked the patient's vision, it had blocked our ability to look for the fly larva. Using a special tube, surgeons suck out the excess blood and at last get an unrestricted view of the parasite. The parasite is extremely small, about the size of a large water droplet. Dr. Charles removes the maggot. But it may be too late to save Kenny's sight. If the fly larva has done sufficient damage, then central vision could be lost forever. Only time will tell how much of Kenny's sight has been lost. In the recovery room, Kenny begins to come around. I wake up and I'm back in the room looking at my mom. It just seemed like a stark reality to see him laying there, pale and bandaged. You know, I'm starting to think, you know, maybe I'll never see again. Maybe my blindness is permanent. And that's definitely scary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. While they wait to find out how bad the damage is, doctors turn their attention to how the maggot got into Kenny's eye in the first place. Their investigation begins with the fly. Adult flies normally lay their eggs in the flesh of a dead animal. The eggs hatch into maggots, which feed on rotting flesh. The maggots then burrow into the soil. Two weeks later, they emerge as adult flies ready to breed. So the doctors ask Kenny if he has come into contact with any flies recently. And then it just, it dawns on me. Two weeks ago, I remember walking to school and it was a nice day out. Boom. Fly in my eye. Dr. Charles thinks that as Kenny removed the fly, it laid an egg. And this is what grew into the larvae that began to eat away at his eye. In the hospital, Dr. Charles has news for Kenny and his mother. The doctor reassured me that the maggot did not damage Kenny's side permanently, and relief just washes over me. My eye is killing me, but I can see again. With the parasite gone, Kenny stands to make a full recovery. Today, with the help of glasses, Kenny's vision is back to being 2020. I'm feeling pretty lucky that all I have to do is wear glasses. Because of all this, I definitely don't take my vision for granted anymore. Ultimately, the inside of a human eye is a dead end for a fly maggot, but it doesn't know that, so it's going to feed and grow until it dies. Maggots have also been known to invade the human ear and from there travel to the brain, where they feed on brain tissue. If this happens, the consequences can be fatal. But in the U.S., maggots rarely make their home inside a living person. Once inside a host, many parasites don't just reproduce, they reproduce quickly and in huge numbers. And when parasites use the human body as their breeding ground, the results can be devastating. Anna Mora lives in suburban Roselle, New Jersey, with her two daughters, Nicole and Veronica, and her husband, Francisco. Francisco is a laborer and the rock that holds their family together. My dad is a very loving father, and he works very hard to support us. Francisco is not only a very hard worker, he's very witty, very funny. He's a very good dad. He made me want to go out and, you know, enjoy everything in life, you know, work hard, but not too hard. Just, you know, live life to the fullest, basically. But this family's perfect home life is about to be torn apart by the horrors of parasitic infection. April 2006. Anna comes home from work to find Francisco collapsed on the couch. He does look a bit tired, a bit drained, and I ask him what is wrong. Francisco tells Anna that he hasn't been feeling well at work. He says, well, I'm having these lower back pains and cramps down his leg. 
This is not like Francisco. He's never complained about any sort of pain. I know it's sharp pain down the legs. Maybe it's a pinched nerve. I start to think, well, maybe he should be seeing a chiropractor. Anna makes an appointment for Francisco to see a chiropractor to examine his back. The chiropractor believes that Francisco's spine is not aligned. He does do the massages and um, a variation of different um, exercises. But after several months of treatment, the pain is no better. In fact, it's gotten worse. I'm confused being he's going to a chiropractor for such a long time. There should be some results. I really want to know what is going on in his lower back. The chiropractor sends Francisco for a CT scan. When the results come back, they reveal something no one had expected. His spine is aligned properly. However, there is a dark spot showing around his pelvic area, roughly the size of a grapefruit. He's thinking the worst. He's thinking it's cancer. That night, Francisco and his wife break the news to their daughters. At dinner, they tell me that daddy has a tumor, and I was heartbroken. I'm terrified that I'm going to lose my father, terrified that I might not ever see him again. I'm really scared. For Veronica, the thought that she might lose her father is devastating. We had my Sweet 16 planned out for a while. And I always wanted to dance with my father. That's the one thing that I want out of the whole entire night. I'm scared that he's just not gonna make it. But there is some good news. The doctors believe that the tumor may not be life-threatening and they decide to monitor the growth to see if it changes in size. They prescribe Francisco drugs to fight the pain. But as the days go by, Anna notices that her husband's condition is beginning to deteriorate. Home life at this point is very stressful. When you have a grown man scream in pain, not being able to move, it's really bad. Francisco is incapable of doing the smallest tasks, including walking. I get very saddened by seeing somebody that could carry the world not being able to at least walk. He's in such bad shape that he can no longer work. It just got to a point where I just couldn't even watch. I just wanted to run to my room and cry. And I did, a lot. I don't want to see my dad go through so much pain. One day, Anna is at work when the phone rings. Francisco calls me at work. I said, what's wrong? He said, I can't even go to the bathroom. 
Alarmed by this new symptom, Anna rushes home to her husband. When she gets there, she is horrified by what she finds. Francisco is in agonizing pain. I practically have to carry him into the car. I just try to keep my tears back so he doesn't see the pain that I'm going through. At the hospital, doctors insert a catheter to relieve Francisco's bladder. But the pain in his back continues to get worse. It's heart-wrenching for me to have to see him go through that much pain. The doctors give Francisco morphine for the pain, but it's not enough. He's in such pain that morphine was not working. The doctors conclude that Francisco's tumor must be growing and blocking his bladder. The only way to relieve the pain is to surgically remove the tumor. He is very scared. He is very nervous. I turned to him. I said, you're going to wake up, and I'll be here. I feel helpless. I don't know what to do. It's very emotional for me because I think I'm really losing him. In the operating room, surgeons cut into the area around Francisco's pelvis. But as they cut into the tumor, it ruptures, and a strange black fluid begins to leak out. The surgeons send a sample of the fluid to the lab for testing. Analyzing the results is Dr. Christina Coyle, an infectious disease specialist at the Jacoby Medical Center in New York. So when I saw the pathology report and when I saw the CAT scans, I knew immediately what this was. There was no question in my mind. This is a parasitic infection called echinococcus granulosis. I am out of words. I am confused. I am shell-shocked. What do you mean it's not a tumor? It's a parasite. Echinococcus granulosis is a parasitic tapeworm. When it gets inside a human host, the parasite forms a cyst in the body's organs. The parasite breeds inside the cyst, causing it to swell. This massive cyst, called a hydatid cyst, causes a lot of problems for the host. As it grows, it presses against organs and nerves, causing severe pain. But if this cyst ruptures and spills its contents into the body, the host can be poisoned and even die. Inside Francisco's body, the parasitic cyst has attached itself to the pelvic bone, making it almost impossible for the surgeons to remove it. The only way to really uh, cure him is to remove the bone, and in his case, that would cause paralysis. So Dr. Coyle prescribes a course of antiparasitic drugs that she hopes will kill the parasite and fight the toxins from the ruptured cyst. While Anna and Francisco wait to see whether the medication will work, they're left with another burning question. How did the parasite get inside Francisco in the first place? The adult tapeworm lives in the small intestines of a dog. There, it lays eggs, which are passed out with the dog's feces. If another animal, like a sheep, ingests the eggs, 
they enter the sheep's intestines, or circulatory system, and form cysts. When the sheep dies and is eaten by another dog, the dog becomes host to a new generation of tapeworms. But if a human ingests food or water that is tainted by dog feces contaminated with the parasite, then they can become infected. When Anna tells the doctors that Francisco grew up in rural Portugal, they know exactly how he contracted the parasite. The doctor tells us that it's believed that Francisco got the parasite when he was a very little boy. Either he drank or he ate something contaminated with animal feces. He's probably had this parasite for about 25, 30 years, since childhood. Fortunately for Francisco, the drugs have started to work. They have successfully shrunk down the cysts, relieving some of the pressure he was feeling. Francisco is on the road to recovery, but Anna knows he must work hard if he ever wants to walk again. He starts to go to do physical therapy to regain his strength and his muscle and his leg. Even though part of this parasite is still living inside him, I do see that he's getting better. For his daughter, Veronica, one dream still remains, to dance with her father at her sweet 16. The day of my sweet 16, I'm just so happy because my dad's there. I honestly thought he wasn't going to make it. Francisco is thrilled to be alive and able to be there for his family. It's amazing that I can go to her sweet 16. It was very emotional because I thought I was not going to be there. The moment I wrapped my arms around him, I just burst into tears. I cry. She cry. It was an emotional moment for everybody. I came very close to losing my father. I'm proud of him for the fact that he hung in there and he's stronger than this parasite. The Echinococcus granulosus parasite is a kind of tapeworm that is found all over the world, but it's most common in rural areas where dogs and sheep are abundant. Only 1,000 cases have ever been reported in the United States. To avoid contracting Echinococcus granulosus, travelers to rural Europe should make sure to maintain proper hygiene, washing their hands regularly and avoiding unwashed food. While Echinococcus infection is uncommon, other parasites are much harder to avoid. In 1995, Stephanie Herring is a middle school student living in the rural town of Perkiomenville, Pennsylvania with her mother, Nancy. Stephanie is a typical nine-year-old girl. Uh, she's very loving, quiet-natured. She has lots of friends. I love going to school and seeing all my friends. I love classes. I am a straight-A student. She's very athletic. She hates to be inside. But Stephanie's energetic life is about to grind to a complete halt. One morning, Nancy is driving Stephanie to school when her daughter begins to feel unwell. My stomach really hurts. Um, it's very painful. I feel like I want to throw up. 
but it's not like your normal stomach pain like when you have the stomach flu. I know something's just not right about it. It feels like someone is pulling at my insides. When they arrive at the school, Stephanie is feeling so sick, she refuses to go in. She won't go into the school. So I just say, okay, we're going to turn around and go home. If you feel better in a little while, I'll bring you back. We walk in the house, and my mom tells me to go lay on the couch and relax for a little bit. I'm hoping that the stomach pains go away so I can return to school. I don't like to miss school. I like to see my friends. But what is causing Stephanie's stomach pain? I think back to the night before what we might have had for dinner that would have upset her stomach, but we just had a normal chicken and potatoes dinner, nothing out of the ordinary. Thinking that her daughter has indigestion, Nancy gives Stephanie some liquid and acid. I'm thinking that the medicine's working and I'm going to feel fine, and I laid on the couch the rest of the day. Three days later, Stephanie is back at school and in the cafeteria sitting down for lunch. I eat my lunch and my stomach starts to bother me again. It really, really hurts. The pain is getting worse. It's getting to be more of a gut-wrenching, stomach-turning pain. I'm starting to worry what's going on because it's been three days and it's still bothering me. I get a phone call from school. It's the school nurse letting me know that Stephanie's in her office. She's crying that her stomach really hurts. But what is behind Stephanie's stomach aches is a mystery. She has no fever, no headache, no diarrhea, and I am just totally bewildered. I can't figure out rhyme or reason why her stomach keeps bothering her. Once again, Nancy pulls Stephanie out of school. As a mom, I want to help her to feel better, but I can't figure it out. And after two weeks, Stephanie is in so much pain, she can't even get out of bed. The pain is getting so unbearable. I don't want to get out of bed at this point. I just want to lay there and cry. This is where I realize that something is definitely wrong. But her mother, Nancy, still hopes that Stephanie is just suffering from a stomach bug. She begs me, please, Mommy, can you please take me to the doctor? I call the pediatrician and make the appointment, but in my head, I'm thinking, I'll go to the doctor and she'll tell me that Stephanie's fine. At the pediatrician's office, Stephanie begins to recount her symptoms. I described to the doctor that it feels like somebody's tearing apart my insides. I don't even want to get out of bed. I don't want to eat. I'm afraid if I eat, my stomach's going to hurt even worse. The doctor performs a physical exam, but finds nothing wrong with Stephanie. To me, I know something's wrong on the inside. I can feel it. The doctor tells me to just keep giving her the antacid, keeping her on the bland diet, and see if it just goes away. The doctor told my mom that everything's fine. But as a precaution, the doctor runs a series of tests on Stephanie's stool and urine samples. So my mother takes me back home. 
Two days later, Nancy is getting ready for work when the phone rings. I get a phone call from the pediatrician's office that they had found something in the stool sample that I have to bring Stephanie back in. When someone tells you that they have found something in your child's body, your mind just plays games with you. I'm thinking the worst. I'm thinking my daughter has cancer. The doctor calls and asks us to return to the office, which really scares me because I've never heard of anybody getting a phone call from the doctor saying, come back and it being good. I'm worried that I'm going to be really, really sick, and they might not be able to, to give me anything to make it better. She's telling me, Mommy, I told you something was wrong with me. I told you something was wrong with me. I really am feeling that I'm a horrible mother for not listening to my child when she says she's not feeling well. And then I'm thinking, well, does she have cancer? Could she have something wrong with her intestines? I just, I really did not know what to think. At the doctor's office, Stephanie and Nancy wait anxiously for the results. I am scared, scared about what the doctor's gonna say. The doctor comes in the office, looks at us and says, I know what's making her sick. The doctor tells us that um, I have Giardia. And I was just totally taken back. I was like, well, what is that? Giardia is a protozoan parasite that causes a painful disease called giardiasis. Giardiasis is an infection of the small intestine that's caused by a microorganism called Giardia lambia. When the Giardia parasite enters the small intestine, it gorges itself on the body's nutrients. The body sends immune cells to fight the parasite, causing painful cramps. But the parasite evades the body's defenses by transforming into an impenetrable cyst. Protected from the host's immune system, the parasite breeds rapidly, eventually colonizing the host's entire intestinal tract. The problem with Giardia is that most people don't even realize they have it. It's usually misdiagnosed as irritable bowel syndrome. And without an accurate diagnosis and the appropriate medication, Giardia can run rampant in the intestines. If this parasite goes unchecked, it can cause enough diarrhea to severely dehydrate the host. And for young children and the elderly, severe dehydration can be deadly. When she learns that she has been harboring a parasite, Stephanie is stunned. You're telling me I have something living inside of me? I'm just totally blown away by it. Never in a million years would I have thought that she would have had a parasite. This is turning out to be a nightmare. I'm amazed. Um, I'm confused. I'm disgusted. I'm wondering what's going to happen to me. Is this something that I have to deal with for the rest of my life? Giardia is particularly dangerous when it infects young children. The doctor prescribes a course of drugs to kill the parasite. While they wait for the drugs to take effect, 
The doctors must figure out how and where Stephanie contracted the parasite. Giardia begins as a cyst living in fresh water, where it is ingested by a small mammal, such as a beaver. In the beaver's intestines, the parasite emerges from the cyst and reproduces, laying thousands of eggs that are passed back out into the water in cyst form. When these cysts are ingested by a new host, the cycle of parasitic infection continues. Because Giardia are able to reproduce so quickly, it only takes a few cysts to create a population of thousands. It's this reproductive strategy that makes Giardia such an effective breeder and one of the most successful human parasites on the planet. Health officials question Nancy about where Stephanie could have become infected. They said she possibly could have gotten a hold of contaminated water. And they asked me where Stephanie has been around water lately. And right away, Stephanie thinks she might have an answer. The only place that I can think of where I would have picked it up would be the creek behind the baseball field. Me and a couple of friends would go back to the creek and play in the water try and catch fish with our bare hands. I am most definitely sure that that's where I got infected. The doctors agree that Stephanie probably contracted the Giardia parasite when she ingested contaminated water from a stream near her home. Stephanie continues taking the medication, and after three days, her mom Nancy notices a dramatic change. After the third day on the medication, she seems perfectly fine. She goes back to her normal routine, and that's it. We never have a problem again. Stephanie has made a full recovery, but for her mother, there is one pain that will not go away. I do feel a little guilty not listening to Stephanie. I should realize that she knows her own body, that when she says she's not feeling well, that she really was not feeling well. It could happen to anybody that could be some crazy parasite or illness that you wouldn't expect to get just doing a normal everyday activity. Giardia is one of the most common waterborne parasites in the United States. It can be found in recreational and drinking water. The parasite is the cause of up to 25% of cases of gastrointestinal disease in the United States. The best way to avoid infection with the Giardia parasite is to avoid drinking untreated water, ensure that fruit and vegetables are washed in clean water, and maintain good hygiene before eating and after using the bathroom. And for those that do become infected, there are drugs that can kill Giardia before it kills its host. Part of the reason a parasite needs a host is because a host is where a parasite is going to reproduce. But when the parasites shift their focus from feeding to breeding, they can overrun the host and ultimately kill it. For more disgusting parasites and tips on how to avoid them, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monsters inside me. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.